Welcome, friends, to the episode 8 of Quest Rewind, the retrospective gaming podcast where we go back to the 90s, the 2000s. Uh, the previous Quest, we talked about the Nintendo 64 and our love for this classic Nintendo console. And then afterwards, we shifted to talk about the Xbox 360. And a couple of weeks ago, we traveled back to 2005 and checked out that E3 press conference where they actually revealed the console. But then afterwards, we had a deep, dark, and dirty conversation about the infamous Red Ring of Death and all the problems about this console that we love. It's a great console, but despite that, it definitely had a lot of issues. So today we're going to be talking about the legacy of this majestic council with yours truly, Juan from Puerto Rico. I'm Ryan from Boston. And I'm Keith from London, Ontario, Canada, keeping it deep, dark, and dirty. Oh, yeah, very dirty. <laughs> because, hey, we got to... Like, the previous episode was an uncomfortable topic because despite the council's success... It was cluttered with problems. And Ryan, you did a great job of explaining why it was important to talk about all that. So to sort of piggyback from that, despite that, why do you think this console was so dominating for most of the generation when compared to the PS3? When for context, at the very end of the console war, which is a, is a dumb term, but let's just go with that. The 360 sold 84 million consoles to the PS3's 87.4. So right neck and neck why do you think that was the the first thing that we got to talk about is that the xbox 360 was first to the market right they had a whole year uh, ahead on ps3 and the thing was despite all of the problems because you know we talked about last week rushing it was an issue and obviously was one of the reasons because they didn't they developed was it they developed their own chip or something that that uh, caused yeah, a lot of it. They had to change the chip, yeah, because they tried to save some money, and it cost them a lot in the. Uh, and that end. basically was one of the core reasons behind the Red Ring of Death. But still, being first to market with an HD console and kind of setting the tone was a big reason for that early momentum. Usually, you're going to get that early mo momentum if you're first to market, regardless. But the thing that really kept Xbox 360 ahead was that PlayStation 3 just kept getting in its own way. So I thought Sony definitely had a lot of um, foresight for some great things, such as Blu-ray technology and having the wireless chargeable controllers be so much better than what Xbox 360 had for their controllers. So they had some great ideas, but Xbox also had great ideas as well so we talk about achievements and you know their ui a lot of people like a lot more than playstation 3 but yeah playstation's price point and just lack of early like games at launch really kind of had people shying away and another aspect that um we can get into is just you know we remember the the Xbox 360 versions of games were usually much better than the PS3, despite the PS3's power. It was a big issue with just uh, people couldn't really figure out how to develop games properly. So it was like they got ported over from 360. So a lot of times, even though it's like PlayStation 3 is supposed to be way more powerful, the better way to play it was on the 360. Yeah. And we spent last week talking about like how the launch of the 360 wasn't favorable but in its own way like there wasn't any hardware issues like or widespread hardware issues i should say the ps3 might have had an even worse launch just because of like ryan said them constantly getting in their own ways them always playing catch up for a very large part of the uh, the generation and it, it really took the consoles a while to get to the point that they became this these revered systems and Xbox just kind of got there a little quicker than PlayStation. And I think that's a lot of the reason why it dominated most of the um, most of the generation. It's fascinating seeing those sales numbers because like almost the the narrative of it doesn't uh, doesn't reflect on that and how like PlayStation got there in the end, even though it's just by a couple of million units. That's still a, a significant chunk of consoles. But yeah, Sony just 
even though there wasn't any lawsuits at the time, even though there wasn't any widespread hardware issues for every red ring, there was still a Ridge Racer <laughs> and all of those issues getting a second job. And like Ryan said, them having their own um, like proprietary development system where it was i think the line that they used is like the playstation 3 was so good that developers would want to like change everything up and develop for they, it they tried it, they tried to sell that yeah they, they tried to sell it and it was a miserable failure and then as you can see with their later consoles totally gave up on that so it was it was just a lot going against the playstation 3 and it took a while for it to catch up yeah i think ultimately the slim model, getting the price point down by the end of the life cycle, it was probably affordable for people who had 360s to just pick up a PS3 at that point towards the end. And they still had some great titles coming up way up until the end, like The Last of Us. So it would people had a reason to get a PS3 right at the end of its life cycle. And I think that's how it basically just barely crossed the finish line ahead of the 360. And I think something that doesn't get talked about enough is we mentioned the change from like CRT to high definition. And at the beginning, at the beginning of the generation, I was part of the bunch where much like VR until you try it, HD is stupid. Why would you need Blu-rays or HD DVDs or high definition games? I, I'm okay with how my games look. And I think that as the years progressed, you can't just uh, say, oh, there was one reason why Sony triumph at the end of the day. It's that it had a Blu-ray player and the price dropped as people became aware of high definition TVs. I remember like high definition TVs when they first came out, they were like two to three thousand dollars. It was not something like I would go to Best Buy and I never thought in my life that I could actually buy one of those. But towards the end of the generation, you could get a pretty decent like a Vizio. You know, that's where all these lesser expensive uh, televisions came into fruition. And the other thing is like nowadays, think of how obsessed people are with HDR, 4K, 60 FPS, 120 hertz. If you mentioned any of these things back in like, what, 2008, people would be saying, what in the hell are you talking about? And I think people started wetting their appetites with 720p, oh, 1080i, oh, 1080p, that, that looks good. Oh, but then the refresh rate and then the contrast ratio. And out of the two consoles, which one offered a much better option for, for playing games and also watching movies? That. So I think in many ways, the same way that for the PS2, it was successful not just for the gaming part. I mean, we can't neglect the fact that the PS2 was my first DVD player and the PS3 was my first Blu-ray player. Like for you guys, was it all also the same thing with both consoles? Absolutely. It's It started out as a, um, it was like a luxury that the PS3 also did Blu-rays, but it got to the point where as the PS3 Slim came out and the price of consoles started dropping, a PS3 cost about as much as a Blu-ray player at one point. So there was no reason not to get a PlayStation 3 to play your Blu-rays instead of getting a Blu-ray player because it was you're spending. Yeah, it, it was cheaper. In a lot of cases, it a was Blu -ray cheaper. A Blu-ray player was like 800 to the console 600 or something. And okay, so I could play games and watch movies and not use Why a sucky ass controller. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've ever even seen anyone with a straight up Blu-ray player, like just sitting in a household. I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. Uh, but PlayStation definitely, like Sony had the forethought that this was the technology that we're going to be going with. And I do remember thinking at the time, like towards the end of the PlayStation's life cycle, because again, like I said, 360 was really the standard and people would develop games for that. And towards the end, I was thinking like, man, 360 is kind of holding the PS3 back because people still want to develop for 360. So it felt like maybe games wouldn't be as large in scope because we knew a Blu-ray disc could fit more a lot more data on it. Obviously, with in installs and things like that, I guess you could get around it. But at the time, it felt more like, oh, man, towards the end. Uh that like PS3 was really just kind of outclassing the 360. It's uh, 100% because of, and the, you could almost consider this a failure of the 360, how 
HD DVD just didn't take off at all because the option was there. They had a Blu-ray comparable, but when you put Blu-ray versus HD DVD, like I think Microsoft just bet on the wrong horse in that respect. And it was almost kind of like the opposite of the PS3 at the beginning of the life cycle situation where as things went on and things got significantly better, don't get me wrong, but that HD DVD bet just kind of held it back. And that's I think that's around the time you really could see that shift in the PS3 move forward. And I think that the the most important thing, especially when tying it to this episode, is that, yes, technically the PS3 outsold the PS, the uh, Xbox 360 at the end of the day. But when you look at the library and, you know, we reacted to so many of the things like UI, we, we could make a list of 50 different re- things that the Xbox 360 to me, it's still one of my preferred gaming consoles, including multiple generations afterwards. And uh, something that we would love is like, uh, Ryan brought up a good question. I'm just curious, do we have any listeners that actually owned a Blu-ray player before they owned a PS3, like a standalone one? Let us know, uh, Quest Rewind. And if you want to join the Discord, it is actually in the description of both the YouTube video, which you can enjoy this podcast and our lovely mugs there, or podcast feeds and definitely drop that uh five star so now now that we have paved the way for this conversation guys yeah i'm really enjoying our playstation 3 (laughs) (laughs) i think one last comment on that though it's like you see those memes or it's like what what i do what my friends think i do i feel like in the moment for like that era of gaming systems it was like if you were there like like who did it feel like won that era? I would say the Xbox 360. And then you're like, oh, who did it actually? Or like, who do you think actually won? You know, the PS3. But who really won was the Wii. <laughs> and that's yeah, uh, it's, oh yeah, it's true. Yeah, and that's a conversation for another day. Because I, I imagine the Wii beats both of these out. But I think it's a great. it's a good conversation to have to kind of set the tone of this because all of what we just set aside, like even though the PS3 sold more and we discussed why, in my personal opinion, I still think the 360 is the better console of the two. And going by the PS3 versus 360 versus Wii, the the 360 would be the worst selling console of that generation of the big three, but I consider it to be the best. So even though sales numbers are important from a business aspect and help uh, like shape your company moving forward, I don't always think it means it's the most important as far as a consumer product and reflection of that. Yeah, if, if you were to say like, okay, if you had to own one console through the whole lifespan like we can't just say oh it's the very end and all the games are out if you had to own one console through the whole lifespan it would have to be the xbox 360 oh yeah yeah especially with the with the uh the value of hindsight having it like if i looked back and said if you could only own one of these it would be the 360 no question and then the the other thing as to why the 360 was so great even though initially that may seem like a detriment is is dvd and blu-ray and i say that because when you look at the 360s library holiday season, right? Price drops. The PS3 games, because of the Blu-ray discs, they would drop like a whopping $5 sometimes. And those uh, uh, those are pre-owned games. Really, they would almost be like the brand new ones, whereas 360, the prices, you could get a, a $20 360 game. Like as a PS3 owner first, it was a long time before it happened. And even then, the quality of uh, $20 games. It wasn't until like the very end of the generation that I feel like that changed. And just for context, because I know some people may be curious as to how many games were released for uh, these consoles. The OG Xbox, at least uh, disc-based, and keep in mind like with the uh, older generations, sometimes it's a little difficult to get accurate information. So we pulled up some stuff from a Red Bull article, Wikipedia, multiple different threads. That's right, a Red Bull article. Yes. First <laughs> from of all, RedBull.com. Red Bull has gaming articles, people. It's a thing. The OG Xbox had 996 games. The 360, disc-based, had 1,050. Now, this surprised me because I was I was sure it would be the opposite. The PS3 had just, at a, just a little bit more at approximately 1,090. And when it comes to exclusives... Xbox had about 212 to the PS3's 188. So 
almost neck and neck. And I think in hindsight, you look at Gears, you look at Halo, then you look at Uncharted and, and Ratchet and, and Clank and other games in, in both generations. Look, at the end of the day, they were both pretty awesome. This is still one of my favorite generations. And I grew up with the PS2 and OG Xbox One. But if we were to talk about the legacy piece, the one thing that Ryan kept saying as we, we decided on, on the 360 is Mountain Dew and Doritos. And I think if you, it's one of those things that if you were there, you get it. And if you weren't there in that generation, you have no idea what the hell we're talking about. So Ryan, let, let's say we have a we have a 10-year-old that is thinking, what the hell are you talking about? How would you present this concept that you're talking about? I think the Xbox 360 just personified the the bro gamer image, right? Because I think when we were growing up, video games, although a lot of our friends and a lot of the kids we knew at the time played video games, I think the first um, kind of image back when like video games were a thing is if you were really into video games, you were like a nerdy person, right? But as we started to get into like PS2, Xbox, like the images started to shift because gaming got bigger and bigger. And now it's not just, okay, here's the typical nerd who plays video games. Like now we have different groups of gamers. And it, as things get bigger, you just get more and more different categories of gamer types. And the Xbox 360 just personified like the college bro gamer who is sitting in his dorm room yelling at people over xbox live while playing halo and drinking mountain dew and eating junk food like that was just cool the doritos. image yeah cool ranch doritos you know he's you got bagel bites cool that are doritos? burning in the like, toaster oven yeah does good. it taste good okay I, I don't i don't think i've ever eaten one they seem disgusting to me they, they are better I want than ranch in my tortilla me. chip Okay. Like anyway sorry i sidetracked I, i'm that. always like <laughs> when it comes to doritos i'm always like kind of like not into it and then i actually eat one and i'm like oh this is way better than i thought it was gonna be yep, <laughs> that's yep. how it is every time like i forget you know but with what you were saying ryan it's interesting because i feel like similar to the n64 the n64 to me was the you go over to a friend's house and you have that multiplayer gaming session 360 was I go to my house, you go to your house, Keith goes to his house, and we connect to do the same thing, and we can talk over that. And and this really was the generation that normalized the aspect that we're all playing games together, but maybe not together. And the PS2 definitely had that. Like, I played SOCOM 2, I played a whole lot of games that were online in that generation, but it was still like, wait, the PS2, you, you play games online? Anytime I would say that, often that was met. Whereas 360 is like, you don't have Xbox Gold. The expectation became that you played online. That uh, single player gaming almost became secondary. What do you think about all that, Keith? Well, in this conversation, y'all haven't mentioned two very important words, and that's Halo 3. <laughs> I, I, I think I really mean, that, that is... a number, but... <laughs> I, it's a word. You can say T-H-R-E-E, well, and He's there is your there. second He's word. Got you there. Damn it. Halo 3, there was this in, this huge zeitgeist around the release of it. Like, uh, Halo had been done online before with Halo 2 and Xbox Live, but when crackdown release or like came with that halo 3 demo and everybody went out and bought crackdown like it, that that was very much like a a cultural thing when halo 3 started coming out to the point and i think this is the origin of the mountain dew dorito thing there was a mountain dew gamer fuel right. sponsored by halo 3 and it had master chief on the box it was orange i remember drinking some of it back in the day and it became that thing. The entire marketing plan around it was, hey, you go pick up some Mountain Dew and go play, drink 12 of them and play Halo all <laughs> night with your friends and eventually crash from an insane sugar high. But please so, don't actually drink 12 of them. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I feel like your heart would stop if you drank 12 of those. They were so sweet. But it became like part of... It, it almost became like a pair, like Mountain Dew and Halo, and or in Halo and Xbox. So it, it, by uh, by I mean, association, it became Xbox and Mountain Dew. Once again, both being kind of green. So 
it really played into each other in a way that like that became that bro culture and then it just didn't stop from there like halo 3 was a huge success and really put like put that marketing thing on the map and yeah it's uh i i hold it solely responsible for the monster <laughs> that it became <laughs> when when i pick up a pack of doritos and i get double xp now that's because of halo 3 damn it (laughs) yeah i mean the xbox live did just totally change the culture of gaming right because i feel like fps's were big on pc before the xbox and that again i still feel like even though you had a lot of people talking crap about each other over counter-strike it that still felt like nerd culture right whereas the bro, oh, yeah. the casual bro gamer who just plays Call of Duty and Halo on his Xbox, like 360 is what defined that type of gamer. And there's nothing wrong with that type of gamer, by the way. But just saying, like, that's yeah, where that uh, how, that's where we that, were pretty much that. Yeah, that's where that caricature yeah. came from is really like we had xbox live on the og xbox and obviously halo 2 was kind of the start of that big console online multiplayer that like made it like a standard whereas like it was more of a fringe thing on the ps2 so the 360 was that first generation where we're coming in at the start where it's all about online whereas like it took a little while during the era of the og xbox for that to kind of get going whereas like we're coming into 360 with like the expectation that online gaming is now massive and that's where this is a generation where unsurprisingly with that bro casual gaming culture that a lot of single player story modes for a lot of these games really take a back seat uh in this because they said hey we're gonna give we're gonna put more effort into what the people want and and we're gonna de-emphasize a part that a lot of people do like but i think they were just trying to service the you know more the bigger crowd of people that were just interested in the multiplayer and i think something else is as i heard both of you is going back to the contrast with the n64 they are the three of us live together or uh, nearby i should say is keith could buy pokemon snap and lend it to me but here if the three of us want to play together guess what guys for the most part we need ourselves three three copies, copies three memberships of xbox live it's that whole experience. So it in many ways increased that demand of it's no longer. I mean, this is the generation where a lot of games did not have split screen. Some of them did, but it was the expectation. I remember going to like uh, EB Games and GameStop and parents would be upset at the fact that I got two kids at home. They want to play single player. This happened with a lot of racing games when the generation first started. And you would hear the GameStop employee kind of saying, well, I guess you kind of need a second console and a second copy of the game because, well, that's that's what the next generation is all about. And and kind of transitioning to this uh, article from uh, Red Bull, it uh, it's titled 10 Ways the Xbox 360 Changed Gaming. And one of the main things, and I think this absolutely contributes to gaming, like gaming, a gamer being cool is something like wireless game pads. I mentioned that in the previous episode, I owned a wireless PS2 controller, but that was seen as like a futuristic, like a, oh, we're getting something that we shouldn't get yet. But here, depending the console that you that you bought, it was expected. And think as a kid, most consoles were where? Like uh, maybe above the television or nearby. And because of the cable, you have to be fairly close. Now it's like, oh, no, you can lay back, grab yourself a Mountain Dew, grab the Doritos, you put on the headset, you connect it <laughs> to the controller or whatever. So it was a legitimate experience of like you're home, you're in college, just sit back, hang out. You don't have to worry about, well, I got to lean forward because the cable's too short. Some people did have that, but... How significant do you guys the wireless gamepad is in overall 360 history? I think it is extremely significant. I I didn't realize how important it was until a few years ago when I got a Super Nintendo Classic and I had to deal with a cord again and realize just how much of a restriction that was. They didn't have a wireless controller for that? 
No, no. Oh my! Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was an additional. You had to like buy uh, the Nintendo. And the one NES Classic had a shorter cable. If wow. I'm not mistaken, Keith. Hey, they, it was they a piece of trash. Faith, faithful remake. <laughs> faithful remake. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, That's it garbage. fits the bill, but it's garbage. I'm glad I didn't buy this. Too faithful. Yeah, too, too faithful. Yeah, it, there is such thing as too faithful. Absolutely. But just the just the ability to it, it it's a, it's actually a really fascinating conversation because imagine having that wireless controller when the Nintendo sixty four was popular when technology moved to a point where you didn't have to leave your home with playing people or to play with people it became the most convenient to do so like when the online systems came out that's when you didn't have a wire on your controller and you had to wrap it up and bring it to your friend's house you could just take the controller and hope to god your batteries didn't die so it, it's almost like a contrast of convenience yeah, now, as now one moved this, in another direction yeah, yeah. yeah where was this 10 years ago so it, it's fascinating and just not having i i honestly think it's why this generation of systems feel more like a a computer and less like a toy because you don't have that wire and attaching to it and it, it makes it a lot less toyish and more adult oriented especially with the games that came out with it so i do think it's very important to the system yeah this is the first generation where all the systems felt like a computer right that it was basically just a computer built specifically for gaming and it was really taking a lot of what were luxury pieces of the previous generation and making them standard, right? Wireless controllers, PS2 had it. We had the WaveBird on the GameCube. Now it's standard for this generation. The hard drive, again, PS2 had a hard drive. Xbox um, did start the standard there, but still everything by this generation does have it. So it was taking the things that were like kind of fringe and nice to haves and making like this is just how it is now and really i mean the these consoles like if we look at the future consoles it's like have they they've basically like just basically made a more powerful version of what these consoles are right like this yeah, is pretty like, much nothing has aside from nintendo kind of going their own way with having like different gimmicks like the ps4 and ps5 and um, the Xbox One and the Series X, it's really just upgraded versions of what these are and not too much else newly added. And I think another thing as I listen to both of you is as a kid and even like even to this day, a lot of non-gamer older adults, what do they refer to gaming consoles? Everything is a Nintendo, right? You're playing a Sony con you know you're not, you're playing the Nintendo. Like you're playing PlayStation, that is a Nintendo because that's what I played growing <laughs> up. And the 360 is specifically, and I guess the PS3 as well, like this generation was like, oh, no, no, this is not a this is not a toy, as you guys brought up, because you have user interfaces. And the moment you introduce a credit card, right, this is this that is a significant shift that we sometimes undermine. This is where it is super normal to have your credit card information inside of a inside of a console. Right. And I feel like that's when a, a lot of adults look at this differently because you can make full purchases, maybe not initially, but towards the end of the generation, much like now. Right. We've we've had this debate for the past 15 years about digital or physical. But even towards the end of this generation, you talk about games for gold. You know, you're getting full fledged games. You're not getting a demo. And that all happened in the same generation. Like, let's think about that uh, E3 reveal where it was hype to see a trailer of a game and a demo of it in the store. Yet in the same generation by the end, no, you get the full damn version of that game here in addition to indie games and all that. And I think the evolution of gaming, kind of to your point, Ryan, it's not that gaming has stalled because I don't want to sound like I feel like every older gamer, that's what they say now. Oh, you know, gaming was better in my days. But we went from somebody could have a standard definition CRT TV, non HDMI Xbox 360. So that is like the most bare bones. That's a lot of with, a lot of letters he just threw out. Yeah. <laughs> with a wired controller, if they got the cheapest <laughs> version to like a 1080p wireless you can fully download a game with uh, also downloading Netflix and checking out series. That was all in the same generation. The, the, the PS4 generation and everything afterwards, they've improved upon things, but 
it thinks that we're already there, and I yeah, don't we're think not, we're, we'll ever get that that the dramatic shifts. Like yeah, we were yeah. so used to you know NES versus Super Nintendo versus N sixty four versus GameCube and like PlayStation one, PlayStation two, PlayStation three. There was huge advancements between these, and yeah, obviously PS four much stronger than PS three, and same with PS five, but it like the other differences like there's no you know i mean they tried connect with hands-free controller but you know at the end of the day it's still like Ryan, you still you have the wireless controller the controller yeah it's like you still have the wireless controller the hd resolution yeah we're gonna have 4k we can do 4k now but i mean we're getting things are so advanced now that it's like the average person they'll see a difference between 1080p and 4k but it's still like not as significant as 2D to 3D or standard to HD, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't see that as a bad thing necessarily because there's really only so much you can do, really so much you can upgrade. And yeah, those big shifts happened like in earlier console generations. Like you you will never have a bigger shift than 2D to 3D, like full decent looking 3D that the PlayStation 1 and the N64 brought. But where do you go from there? Like really the end game of all of this technology is to make it look as lifelike as possible. You can't make something look better than what you see with your own eyes, right? So there's only so much you can do and things have like moved on substantially from a visual standpoint, even from this Xbox generation, but you can only go so far and that's okay. Like it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The the places where these consoles really um, like, and even to this day, I would argue this, that they really uh, change things up and move forward is all of the offers and features that things are that they, uh, that they bring in their package. Like when we're talking, about the 360 really the things that turned it around are some of those features things like the xbox live arcade that one was talking about bringing full games and indie games and downloadable content to the system the introduction of achievements all of those things are what made the 360 the powerhouse that it became like things looked great yes we got to 1080p but something's always going to come along that looks better. Mm -hmm. I imagine there's going to one day when we're probably old and gray, there's going to be a PlayStation 10 that you put into your eye socket and it looks just like real life. And it's going to be terrifying reality. (laughs) Exactly. And and that's terrifying, but there's always going to be something that looks better. But if it's just a bare bone thing that looks cool, I think that's where failure lies and everything all of the features that surround it are what make it the great console that it will that it was or it will be so what's number two on the list (laughs) okay so so there's a couple things here but i feel like i probably just went through a bunch of them there and (laughs) i'm sorry i ruined it but but the one thing we really got to get to is achievements I, i feel like we've gone long enough without mentioning the thing that would you really... consider it an achievement that we've gone <laughs> yeah we should almost get a trophy about it no it's pretty bad but i remember there was this debate full context again ps3 gamer first i didn't get what they were right i i truly when i heard about achievements i just did not understand that it wasn't until i got it and i'm playing a game i do something i hear that that sound we're all hearing it in our heads right now the little <laughs> with the thing at the bottom and then i'm thinking hey this is pretty good man you know, I, I did a thing in the game and now the thing and Sony for a long time were saying, eh, this is a stupid thing. Oh, now we're doing trophies, but they're not the same thing. <laughs> you may be getting the same thing as an achievement. It is not the same thing. What did you guys first think about? Like more so than the legacy, when you heard about the whole concept that these games that we've been playing, because we eventually got, you know, uh, older games like Beyond Good and Evil got an HD edition on on 360. So we even got older PS2 generation games with achievements. What did you think about that whole concept that you get rewarded, you know, points for completing stuff? I still to this day, it's not a big deal for me 
the only time I usually appreciate it is if they have like a clever name for something or it's like a reference to something and you're like, oh, haha, like I get the joke. Like I think Grand Theft Auto had some achievements that were like that, that were references to like pop culture things. So it would be mildly amusing, but I was never someone who was like, oh, I have to get all the achievements in this game. Like you play like Uncharted or something like, uh, you know, Gears of War, if we're talking, you know, we're talking about 360, of course that I wouldn't be like, oh, I need to get all the achievements. It was just like a night, like if you get one for doing something you were already going to do anyway, it just made you feel a little bit better. So, but I am thankful for Xbox 360, like innovating the achievements and bring them to the fold because then they were added to games like World of Warcraft, where I appreciated them more because you could actually get in-game items for doing achievements and they basically added them again in like reaction to xbox having achievements they weren't added until much later in world of warcraft so i think it's more about setting the standard for hey like we can extend the playtime of a game by adding all these other like little missions or beating missions in unique ways or things like that to extend people's playtime in a game and having that spread into other other gaming areas was the most positive thing. Yeah, I think that's where achievements really have their greatest success like early ones kind of sucked because it was oh beat this game on hard beat this game on very or hard literally beat... complete the first mission which you were going to do anyway exactly and then you just kind of get a little a little bit of extra points for it but when achievements are there to extend the life of a game by making you try different things in different creative ways like i think they are a huge success in that way and can't imagine games without them anymore like it's when, once they figured it out i honestly think it's one of the biggest additions to gaming that the xbox 360 um created because it wasn't just about beating a game anymore right like if you really liked a game you would go for those thousand gamer score points and then even more once DLC started to become a thing. Like I, there was a point in my life where I was an achievement hunter and I became one of those trash people that were like, Hey, what's your gamer score, bro? You got, you got a big <laughs> so gamer you score. You were striker. In the I, I was, zone. I was striker in the underground zone for a point in my life, but that was fun to me. It wasn't just like, it, it was a time when I was playing a lot of games and it gave me more reason to try different games, right? Like I would never do this anymore, but there was specific games where I would pick up just because it was an easy thousand points. <laughs> yeah. And then I would play that game. I would get my thousand points and I would move on. That is shout out to Avatar the Last Airbender. That <laughs> is the like, most... You were exactly what Microsoft wanted. It was oh, like, yeah. oh, if we 100%. had these achievements, there's gonna be those completionists that just like they can't help themselves. They'll a couple do of companies. Was, yeah. I forget which, but I remember seeing a trailer they got backlash they didn't like flat out say it but it was kind of like hey hey you get my game you get you're gonna get some points without much uh hustle and yeah think pre about order that. for that a special achievement <laughs> yeah it was factored in that oh we got to make our game that thousand gamer score or whatever it is but despite all that like you mentioned ryan and you would get stuff in World of Warcraft with achievements. You would get uh, the your avatar in Xbox. You would get either an avatar or a shirt for your little character that you would create. So it was like an incentive where you could add some personality. And that's something that even though we had online in the previous generation, this is the one that made it social. And Microsoft has always been leaning hard for since day one, right? In Xbox, Xbox One, they really tried to lean in and that cost them a lot at the beginning but even here we saw it that it was an entertainment device that also played video games with the ui and, and everything else it's definitely a thing there so another thing we have got to get to is the whole concept of um connect i just felt like i got to bring that up <laughs> because for better or worse I, I don't they know tried. if you guys know that Kinect is super <laughs> relevant still. Like uh, engineers oh, yeah. are using it, not for gaming, but a lot of people said it, great technology, bad for games. So to this day, it's been an innovation that 
you know, became real because of uh, consoles. Like I've seen videos with people programming robots and they're actually maneuvering it. It's kind of like all these anime shows where you move and the robot moves and that's freaking awesome. Yeah. The fact that it works better than a game is a little ridiculous. Yeah. I, th- I don't know if I mentioned this on the show yet, but I went to the Patriots like Hall of Fame tour and there's a part where you're trying to like redo a famous catch in the Super Bowl. And they, I could see they were using a connect to do there the little go. booth where you did, like the little That's picture awesome. booth and everything. So it, it, it still finds its its way. Um, the connect was something I don't think I ever actually played it outside of stores or whatever. But I think the biggest reason it came about was you know we mentioned at the top of the show with the sales numbers, the Wii at this point, despite being standard definition was just crushing it even though the ps3 and the 360 were when you talk about the more dedicated gamers they were dominating that space but the wii was crushing it because they had brought in this whole big casual audience and both sony and microsoft were like we need a piece of that pie so they came out with their connect which was definitely more innovative than uh, Sony's Move or whatever, uh, with hands-free controller. And, you know, God, if you want to dance like Han Solo in a Star Wars dance game, <laughs> you could do that. And you could see a bunch of games that were supposed to come out that never came out, like that Project yep. Milo thing or whatever. You know? Oh, God. You know, it's probably best that Project Milo didn't come out. What a nightmare. <laughs> that thing I still wanted been. to play Hulk Hogan's main event. I heard that was oh, just awful. I I totally awful. forgot. Did that ever actually come out? Yeah, it yes, came it out. Did. Apparently, it's awful. It just doesn't <laughs> it work. But it's one of those things that you think I want to experience. Did that Fable the crap. Journey ever come out? Uh, the What was supposed to be a Connect game? Fact check on that. <laughs> yeah, we got so much stuff from Connect, and most of it didn't work. Same thing with like PS2 and iToy. Uh, you could browse the menus. I feel like. Just when we got to wireless gamepad, which we just talked about, and I was like, you know what? You don't even need the damn thing. You, you, your body, Ryan, your body is what you need to play freaking video games. It's like, nah, I'm actually pretty good with the D-pad and the joystick. Yeah, and Fable the Journey did release in 2012, and going by the scores on its Wikipedia article, it is a mediocre game, <laughs> <laughs> which is not surprising in the slightest. But uh, I think... The Connect, and this is my opinion, I think the Connect was them, it's almost a case of them trying to do too much, especially what the camera required, right? Like, the Wii was almost a better sell because yes, you're doing movement, and yes, you're like, it's motion controls, but you can still do it in place. Like you can still stand or sit on your couch and do of those motion controls. In a lot of instances with the early Kinect models, it almost kind of like VR, except VR is a little better about it these days. Like you needed to like make a space for it. If you wanted to have your Xbox in the living room where it probably was with the Kinect, you needed to move your coffee table in order to actually use it. And you have to factor in lighting and a bunch of other stuff. Exactly. For it to read properly. Like, I think it's almost like gaming wasn't ready for the Kinect. <laughs> and that's why it became the happy little accident that it was and ended up being so useful outside of gaming where they could do things like control the environment and not require you to do these movements in your living room and in these scenarios that aren't really equipped for it. Yeah, I think it was like the half step towards VR because we even see like PlayStation Move when they had PSVR, they basically just use like the Move controllers. They for, still do. Yeah, yeah, for the VR. So it was like they were they were just trying to copy the Wii and the Wii just had the right idea of how to get to the casual market. And I think at this time, everyone just wanted PS3 and 360 to kind of stay in their lane. And I, I remember sitting through those E3s where they'd spend like 40 minutes talking about Connect, and you're just like... Can but, we please right, right. just see Those something good? Those conferences were super entertaining, though, because something would always there go was, wrong. I mean, though. the amount yeah. of cringe. If you were, they would bring children on stage and talk about their pet elephants <laughs> yeah. and stuff like oh that. It was God, a great I remember time. that. I think I do. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it was good times. Yeah, it was good there was times. a lot of memes. It, it was it was good for the memes, but that was about it. Now, 
I, I think we've gone long enough without talking about now the, the real thing that I think a lot of people resonate with the console and it's the actual like Xbox Live and, and the process of purchasing games. I mean, I don't think we would ever have a game like Dead Cells, which is one of my favorite games of all time, if we didn't have your Braids and, and Shadow Complex, which also came out of this generation. And all these games that honestly would never make disc, right? I think we undermined that the in the PC world, it wasn't uncommon to see like shorter games and smaller games and mods, but it was definitely seen as less than, right? It was the whole concept that here's Duke Nukem and then here's like 20,000 knockoffs. But now Xbox here's Live Nukem all Duke. of a sudden give... I said, here's Nukem Duke instead. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Uh, they probably existed, though. Maybe a porno or something. Anyway. <laughs> Fact but checker. Then, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Be careful. That Use incognito. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't mess up that browsing history, bro. When I Google Nukem Duke, it just takes me to a Duke Nukem age gate. So I will assume it's a porn. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sounds good. But... It was a significant thing, and I remember thinking the whole concept that games were 50, you know, around this uh, this price point, but then here you have options, like when Xbox Live first came out, I believe they had a, much like PS3, there was a limit to how, how large games could be, so you couldn't get like a 20 gigabyte game. A lot of them were shorter, uh, smaller in size, so developers had to be very creative, and eventually grew to the point that they just said, hey, these, these aren't indie games in the sense of like smaller games these are full-blown badass games and you know geometry wars i think geometry wars and we'll be talking about some of our favorite picks and in in the next episode but how significant do you guys think the whole online store like a game changer regular was like complete game changer for many reasons because Number one, this is where indie developers can really come into the fold where there used to be that huge barrier of like trying to get a physical copy of a game on a shelf in a store, right? That's a whole hurdle. But it was much easier for these smaller development companies to just put a smaller game on the store. So that's one monumental thing. And along with that, it was like a resurgence of being able to have like 2D games. You mentioned Braid, where it was at a point where it's like, okay, we had gotten over the fact that we've moved from 2D to 3D. Everyone, yeah, we've all played 3D games. Now it's nice that someone can say, hey, like, there's something to 2D that you can't get with 3D. So let's do a, like, a significant art style and have this great 2D platformer that tells an amazing story. It's, uh, it really opened up the window to, like, kind of resurge a lot of those genres of games that had kind of fallen behind with that transition to 3D. Agreed. It It's really crazy to think about the launch Xbox 360 versus the end of life Xbox 360 and how different the online um like the online store evolved from there how there was just nothing at the beginning of the generation and it was one of the most pivotal parts of the generation by the end of it it's uh there was that uh that ui switch it was like xbox 2.0 or something like that that happened partway through the generation that really kicked that into full gear and yeah like like you guys said it is a pivotal part of the legacy of the 360 being able to have that smaller game not have to release on a disc anymore because it it, it was a very slow death but i think it kind of killed the quote-unquote b game like in, in in the ps2 days you would have a lot of those those games that were like a step below the big ones it was kind of like your your 40 dollar you could tell this is a game made by people that maybe maybe are still trying to figure it out but they still had to release a shipped full price game so it kind of got lost in the shuffle and it kind of it it sucked it it wasn't a a lot of them weren't a success for that reason because there was just so many better ways to spend your money but now once the xbox live arcade came along now it's a little more feasible you don't need to ship a disc product if you don't want to and you can have these 
smaller teams put a lot of love into it and it did i am in no way discrediting the amount of work that went into it because there's a lot of documented footage of the pretty much hell that some of these indie developers yeah, go through that they, they would work for months on years on end just to get these products out like it's a ton of work but it it let these people like be creative they they could take a risk a little more than having to um have to ship one of these b games and i honestly think the gaming industry is like it benefited like greatly because of it being able to uh to take these risks and move away from everything needing to be on a disc it's so important in the grand scheme of things yeah, the more I think about it, I think this is like the most important thing because Ryan brought up something I I completely overlooked is that we were convinced that 3D was the standard at this point. The, look at something like Street Fighter, right? We got Street Fighter 3 and then it shifted to we got to make this happen in in the 3D, right? It, 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 like there, there's no going back. And a lot of games were able to say, you know what? like your earthworm gyms and uh, like or like your shantes right i don't think we would have your shantes which are still you know like the the ones that way forward makes that are still 2d side scrolling games if we didn't have your braid because all of a sudden here you have a platform as opposed to just a store because the perception was you either got gears of war on a store and that's just an, as an example you got a triple a game or you got a not as good game but then here you have your option that Think of how many people the 360 and the PS3 was their very first console. So you get maybe Gears of War 2, but then something I mentioned before, Beyond Beyond Good and Evil 2, Beyond Good and Evil HD comes out. That's previous generation, looks a little prettier, it's got achievements. But then you get your Geometry Wars, and then you keep, you get uh, your Puzzle Quest, which, I mean, crying out loud, Puzzle Quest was a mind-blowing game around that time, right? Yeah, it just opened up the doors for... Like, not everything has to be a 30-plus-hour game. Like, they're just like, hey, here's Limbo. It's this very artistic, spooky little side-scrolling game, and you'll finish it in, like, three hours. It was just a really nice thing, and you're not going to pay, like, crazy amount of money for it. So, it's like, okay, you can pick up these five $10 games and have have your fun with it for a few hours, and then it's done. And it's just a whole new space for those types of games that are kind of nice, like uh, palate cleansers in between your Mountain Dew fueled sessions of Call of Duty. <laughs> and Xbox did such a good job um, curating that stuff because there was a lot of bad ones on there, especially with that like... I, I don't remember the name of it, but there was like a, hey, you can make your own game and put it on Xbox Live. But it was it was always like a step below. But the shovel did a great, <laughs> it was on yeah, there. It, it, was, it was the shovel. It was like the PS3 minis. Yeah. But every year you could count on the Summer of Arcade, which was a promotion Oof. that Xbox did that would like highlight five or six of these indie games as like, these are the best ones we have. And this is not all of them were hits, but the large majority of those some of summer of arcade games were hits. So you, you could sit around waiting for seeing what the lineup was this year and check those out. If you need those palate cleansers, like some of my favorite indie games were summer of arcade games, like super meat boy braid, explosion, man, uh, shadow complex. All of those were phenomenal games and Xbox did everything they could to highlight them through that summer of arcade program. It really, really did do a great job of just presenting gaming as a whole, as a platform. And and just the other thing I wanted to mention quickly is Netflix. I mean, you we take for granted how normal it is. But for PS3, like when I owned a PS3, I needed a disc to play Netflix. It wasn't until after that we got the app. Same thing with the Wii, right? You could yeah. get the Netflix disc, mm -hmm. which would connect you online. And before that, and it's still... Some people are still subscribed to the actual disc-based service, which is mind-blowing to me. But the whole concept that we went once again from a CRT TV in the same generation to, you know what? It's you insane. don't even need to go to Blockbuster. You yeah. don't even need to go to Blockbuster yeah, at, at the start. Point. At the start of this generation, Netflix users were mailing their DVDs back. By the end of the generation, they're literally streaming it from the 360. 
it's it was a quite a time for advancements in a lot of technology. The more that I think about it, if I were to just say like, what's my personal experience with like legacy with uh, consoles and all that, the 360, even though I was a PS3 owner for the majority of that generation, once I shifted back to the 360, because it technically came out before, I realized, oh man, there's not one particular thing that this console did great. It is just the presentation. It just felt like quality. Whereas Sony, I feel from day one, and, and Keith, you brought up this in one of our previous episodes, the UI never changed, never evolved, which some people like its simplicity. I personally like it. But if you wanted a little bit more, Microsoft wasn't afraid to explore. And we wouldn't have all these incredible indie games. I don't think we would even have Game Pass if it wasn't for Xbox Live and the fact that it normalized getting all this stuff. So I think that's my biggest takeaway. What about you guys? The the, the one definitive thing that you're thinking, this is why the 360 was so damn cool. For me, it was, especially at the early generation, it had the stronger exclusives. I remember Bioshock at the time, you know, it was an exclusive, Gears of War, Halo. Um, the Those early, you know, the first few years, those exclusives and just it, the personality, it definitely had more personality to it than the PS3. So those are the main things. And it also, it had Banjo-Kazooie. You could like upgraded Banjo-Kazooie, man. I mean, how can you... You know, Microsoft, I give them a little heat for they squandered the whole relationship with Rare, but at yeah, least you're bringing up you're yeah. bringing up the, the, the possible. That's part a bad of the thing, thing, but they did do Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie like HD versions. So for that, they get a thumbs up. And you're missing the best banjo game, Banjo Kazooie Nuts and oh, Bolts. We're gonna which forget is about that. Two thumbs up. <laughs> that is that is a phenomenal game. We'll we'll have that fight another day. But for me, if I had to pick one thing that stands out the most, I think it would be the normalization of online gaming and even though it did cost money, the fact that Xbox Live Gold made such a um, such a like solid foundation for online gaming, like you never really ran into an issue when it came with Xbox Live Gold. Sometimes, like it would go down when a new Call of Duty came out, but it was up more often than not, and. Being able to play with my friends online, I think, was a huge part of why I eventually gravitated to the Xbox 360. Like, this was the first generation where you had to have that discussion of, I'm getting an online game, am I going to get it where my friends are? And more often than not, that answer was yes, they have it on the Xbox 360, so I'm going to pick that game up for the 360. And just being able to play with friends on that selected console and having such a like a, a great experience doing it it was easy it was seamless playstation lacked a lot of uh stability it was a lonely time early for on. me yeah. yeah you guys were on your 360 and um playing our modern warfares <laughs> twos and just having such a great experience with that we really did and uh i can't wait i almost mentioned stuff it's like people the next episode we are going to get to those games because we are going to talk about the defining games for the 360. But for us, it's not just a matter of pulling up the top 10 Xbox 360 games of all time. It's when we think about the console, what are those games that you automatically associate them with the Xbox 360? And just looking at the list, it was one of those things where I just felt happy. I just felt happy because it was a transition where I was working but I had a little bit more leeway with my time. Like gaming was still, it, w- it wasn't just 50% of my time. It was still like 70%. That is not the case right now. But <laughs> we will love everybody watching and listening. No. Yeah, it's part Adulting of being an adult sucks. and having a home and all that. But we're still gamers and we still love to play. And we will actually conclude this quest by talking about Mass Effect 2. So that is going to be the fifth episode. That's how we're going to be closing off this chapter And we would love to know what are your thoughts, your defining things about the Xbox 360. You can reach us on Twitter, Quest Rewind. The uh, Discord link is right there on the description, whether you're checking this out on YouTube, which if you are, hello, please subscribe. And if you're on the (laughs) podcast feed, hello, please subscribe and then leave that five-star review because that will make who horny happy? What? 
Horny. <laughs> no promises there, my what? friend. <laughs> hey, you never know. But yeah. just make you happy though, Ryan, really. It would. It would. I would appreciate if people would subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast feed, leave a five-star review. It helps us out a lot. This is our new you know, Quest Rewind, it's our, our new podcast and we, you know, we put a lot of work into this and we'd love to have more people out there reach it because we know there's a lot of gamers out there who would appreciate just looking back at, you know, nostalgia is a powerful thing and it's fun to go back and think about these times. So share, share the podcast, tell your friends if you think they'd enjoy it and leave that five star review. And you know what? Even if you're sitting there thinking something negative about us, like maybe you don't like how, quote unquote, happy, I'm going to oh, not yeah. use that other H word one said, that, um, that, that, this, makes, uh, that this makes Ryan, yeah. let us know the negative too. We're doing something you don't like. We're growing too. Let us know. Maybe don't leave us a bad review <laughs> that because Ryan's that hurts. That hurts real yeah. bad. That, that stings... Yeah, that would that would leave a leave a sad man. But you know, join the Discord. We're we're always open to conversation. Let us know how we're doing and uh, something that you would like to see us do in the future. Maybe there's a quest you'd like to see us go on sometime soon and uh, tackle a certain topic or review a certain game that's one of your favorites or maybe even least favorites to keep we'll on suffer. to keep yeah. with the uh, the narrative here. Let let us know. We'll suffer. And, I'm uh, happy to suffer just, uh, for you. Do all. not forget that even though this is the third episode in this quest we actually have the watch along so if you're on the podcast feed we strongly recommend you check out youtube.com slash quest rewind because there we made it easy you don't have to do the whole two videos to watch thing you just go to the youtube channel you'll hear us you will get to check out the e3 2005 press conference you will get the audio run did a great job with all that stuff so we make your life easy and if you want to make your life a little challenging you can listen yeah. and then you can hit play on yeah if you want the, some uh, of that video. amazing uh early 2000s music in there then you have to do it yourself yeah. because i had to cut all the music out but other than that uh, <laughs> it's it's a yeah it's a much simpler Shout experience to, to watch that down. one on youtube in particular absolutely so up until next week warm hugs keep playing we'll be back with another episode of quest rewind <laughs>